0: Hi, everybody. Stefan Molyneux from Freedom Main Radio here with a good friend, Michael, who uh, works with me uh, on the show. And uh, we've chatted politics before. Mike, how are you doing tonight?
1: Oh, pretty good. I feel my will to live draining from my bones watching a political debate. But uh, it certainly was the match of the century that everyone had been waiting months for. And, uh, well, we saw it.
0: Was it, uh, was it the relentless tininess and inconsequentiality of the questions that bothered you more or the uh, random scattershots of, uh, hey, gotchas, and also the fact that Trump seemed to be pretty much debating two people, uh, one of whom was his opponent and the other of whom was Hillary Clinton? <laughs> so that seemed a little unusual to me, but not entirely unexpected, I bet.
1: Well, the rational part of me, you know, to that part, the debate went pretty much exactly as I'd have expected it to go where you have the moderator or moderators that are, you know, drilling Trump on various questions. And Hillary, you know, is let off scot-free when she makes an obfuscation or something like that. That's to be expected with the mainstream media. That was not a secret going into the debate. But I did have this emotional part of me that, like, thought this was going to finally be the Clinton's undoing, where Donald Trump was going to, you know, pull out all the dirty laundry over the course of the Clinton political history and just show it to the world in front of 100 million people. I I. Intellectually, didn't think that was going to happen, but I know emotionally, I was like, "Oh boy, now here's finally the time." So uh, it went exactly how I expected it to go, but there's a part of me that's like, oh <laughs> there's some <laughs> yeah, missed opportunity."
0: <laughs> right? You were hoping for uh, something conclusive, and um, there really wasn't. Um, and so, uh, well, let's start off first of all, with a
1: couple, like, kind of big picture things before we. Talk yeah, about let's about do the, the big picture stuff. Okay, in the debate. Hillary Clinton remained standing during this debate. She didn't fall over. She didn't go into a coughing fit. She didn't have a seizure. Nothing like that occurred. So in some way, to some segment of the population that just views, you know, Hillary Clinton acting weird and being helped up steps, you know, videos on a regular basis, she exceeded very, very, very low expectations. I think people had very low expectations for her coming into this debate for a whole litany of reasons. You know, she took off the last five days, canceled a bunch of press con- or not press conferences, but fundraisers, fundraisers yeah, yeah. to, uh, you know, prepare and prep. And, you know, there's always the health issues and that concern. So the fact that she didn't have any type of health related issue during this, I think, made people think, oh, well, I guess she's better than we thought she were. Um, Trump was pretty much Trump. That wasn't too expected. As we said, the moderators The the moderator was biased against Trump. Lester Holt grilled Trump on a few things. And, you know, Hillary was polished. She certainly seemed far more polished in a debate setting than Trump. But while some people will say, oh, there's a polished aspect to Hillary, and that's a positive, and Trump, you know, Trump is kind of blustering and blah, 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 or whatever the mainstream media will say, it comes down to Hillary is very artificial and polished, and Trump is real and authentic. And you might not like his authenticness sometimes, but— you actually think what he's saying is stuff that he believes, which Hillary Clinton was hitting a couple sound bites early on. So in a change election where people are sick of mainstream politicians, I think Trump wins that ten times out of ten, and I think he did tonight on that aspect. It's a change election and Hillary's more the same and Trump is different. And, you know, whether or not you agree with their various policies, and you know, there's many people that will agree and disagree on those various policies, I I, I certainly got the feel on this that, you know, Hillary Clinton is just, you know, another Four more years of Obama. This is just business as usual, whether it's the establishment Republicans or establishment Democrats, it's business as usual where Trump is throwing a giant rock into the ocean and creating some waves. So I think given uh, the world in which we live, the change candidate is certainly going to be improving. And the more they are directly compared to each other, I think the more it benefits you know, the change candidate, which in this case is Trump. So that's like the big picture stuff I was thinking.
0: Yeah, I mean, I, I think there's there's some truth in that. I don't think he did hugely well. Mm. Um, I don't think he did badly. Uh, I, I, you know, there, there are times when I'm watching a performance and I never think about, well, this could have been done better. Freddie Mercury, <laughs> Live Aid, you can't improve upon that. But uh, I do think that... Um, He seemed a little scattered to me. He seemed, uh, I I don't like to say unprepared because, I mean, the guy's been running for office for a year, but, you know, she's been doing this off and on for a quarter century or more. And it was completely unfair in terms of moderation, like not even Mm -hmm. close. I mean, basically, Hull just went after every single DNC talking point for the last (laughs) year. Taxes, Russia, bankruptcy, sexism, racism, birther. (laughs) Uh, Russia again, (laughs) you know, like, I mean, any immigration,
1: uh, any talk about emails? No, not so much. No. So the important thing, of course, is
0: immigration. Nothing came up about immigration. But apparently, it's really, really important in the collapsing decade of the the Western world to talk about (laughs) Trump's goddamn tax returns. Like, (laughs) Mike, have you ever woken up in the morning and said to yourself, goddamn, my day would be so much better if I could rifle through Donald Trump's Tax returns. If
1: I lay awake at night upset that I don't have them to peruse on a daily basis, I really, truly, honestly do. No, it's... You know the whole tax return thing, and they try and turn it into a straw man argument where Hillary says, "Well, the IRS says it's not illegal for Trump to release his tax returns." <laughs> it's right. yes, he he never said it was illegal, but anyone with a brain realizes that when you have the entire mainstream media that hates your guts and wants to see you sink, you don't exactly hand them a softball while you're under investigation by a government agency. You
0: know, <laughs> this- but sorry, so interrupt. But- I don't know that Hillary wanted to give the impression of saying, "Donald, I know just this side of illegal, and that's where you should be." Because I think that to everyone who's not completely pro-Hillary, that puts her in the shadow of the law, where she so often seems to lurk.
1: Oh, and the tax return stuff, and there was some other stuff where you know Clinton was taking the side of you know you have to be transparent in these. It's important people know who you're beholden to. You know, if you have loans out with banks, maybe you'll favor those banks, and you know that type of stuff. And it's like. Hillary Clinton, of all people, is playing that game of being transparent. And do you have something to hide? If you're not showing us everything, you must be hiding something. I mean, yeah, like
0: thirty-three thousand oh, emails, the speeches you gave to Wall Street and the transcripts thereof. Clinton why? Foundation. Why you got paid? <laughs> why your husband got paid double for his speaking fees the moment you became Secretary of State? I mean, boy, she. You know, if if she had, I don't know, this this, this self-reflective capacity. Uh, to, to just say, oh, you know, I don't really think I can go there because it'll just look weird. But I guess the people who support her don't really care. I guess the supporters are like, eh, pff, who's going to make that connection, right? <laughs> but yeah, when she's like, hey, you know, if you didn't have anything to hide, why aren't you putting everything out there? It's like, I I don't think somebody whose entire senior staff seems to be negotiating plea deals with the <laughs> FBI to plead the fifth and to get immunity. And I don't think that you really, really want to talk about um being really transparent. Well, see,
1: this, is, this goes back to what I was saying earlier about how Hillary is very polished but artificial. And it comes off well if you're just looking for the surface veneer stuff. Whereas Trump, you know, he gets in the weeds on some of these issues. He starts going through minutia and details that, you know, most people don't understand and don't care about. But that's because he's not as good as lying as Hillary Clinton is. Hillary Clinton can just say there in nonsense and bullshit and, you know, actually make the honest argument that transparency is important when she's been the least transparent person in politics over the course of the last how many years? And, uh, you know, I, I don't know how you win that, you know, how you win in a situation like that, because you have a moderator that's not calling her out on it. You have audience members that, you know, occasional applause here or there, but there's not any... Substant, you know, fact checking going on by the audience members and the mainstream media is going to back her up. So I don't know what you do. You try and explain everything because you're like, no, she's wrong. This is why. But then you just get dragged down the weeds and you're like, why the hell am I talking about this for five minutes? I haven't touched on immigration or building a wall. And I think he did kind of get sucked into that. But I don't know what you do. I don't know. what. Well, I don't know either.
0: I mean, I don't know either. I mean, when it came to tax returns, uh, it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter what my tax returns are. I mean, this would be sort of my fantasy answer. A, it doesn't matter what my tax returns are. I'm a very wealthy man. It doesn't matter. People are going to judge me on my policies, not based upon what's on page 423, column C, row F on my tax returns. It doesn't matter what is in my tax returns. Now, can we start talking about immigration? Can we start talking about borders? Can we start talking about our relationships with other countries and stop talking about this ridiculous
1: non-issue? Right.
0: Do you have a better question in you?
1: Yeah, I think out I don't the know the sequentiality of the questions would probably be the strategy there that would be most appropriate. But again, I, I hate to criticize Trump because I, I have faith that he knows what he's doing in these types of situations. But, yeah, there is that part of me that's like, oh, pivot, pivot to immigration, pivot to building a wall, pivot to the fact that Hillary caused the European migrant crisis. You know, you got lots of stuff in your tool bag to throw at Hillary Clinton, you know, pivot away from this minutiae. But yeah.
0: Uh, oh. This thing about when exactly was Trump against the war that he had no power to affect in any way whatsoever. Oh, that, that's what it is. Why didn't he just say, why are you asking me about a Howard Stern interview from a decade and a half ago when that woman over there, Little Red over there, she actually voted for the war? Yep. That's on record. Mm-hmm. Why are you some chance comment, which I somebody asked me, how oh, I guess, uh, is that what's important? Let's say I'd been completely for the war. I still never voted for it. Do you have a better question?
1: Yep, I can't argue with that. And for people that want more on Trump and the Iraq war stuff, we broke it down pretty well in the third edition of The Untruth About Donald Trump. But, you know, there is enough there with the GI guess so on Howard Stern, which, boy, Howard Stern interview from... 16 years ago, is main stage in American politics. Never thought you'd imagine that would happen at this point in time. But, yeah, it's uh, broken down there. But the fact that, yeah, that's the question that we're talking about in regards to the political climate instead of immigration and the rest. Yeah, it's complete nonsense. But I I would have been very tempted. Sorry, go ahead. Well, back to the taxing real quick before we move on to Iraq and the rest of it. Hillary Clinton, I, I love this. Well, first, you know, the mainstream media says Donald Trump's not really rich. You know, he's not showing us his tax returns because he's not really rich. There's that, and then there's oh, he's really rich, but he doesn't pay any taxes. They can't make up their mind <laughs> on what the problem is with Donald Trump. And then Hillary threw out something like, oh, you know, the reason why our bridges and infrastructure are crumbling because you didn't pay your taxes. I I was not aware that Hillary Clinton or uh, that Donald Trump owed twenty trillion dollars in back taxes. And if he just paid those taxes, you know, we could just balance the national debt right now. It's all Donald Trump's fault. Goddamn.
0: I got to think that if he owes $20 trillion in taxes, he's actually quite rich. You know, that's that's a lot of zeros, probably more than I can particularly process. But uh,
1: Either he has no money and he's lying about it, or he has lots of money he's not paying taxes on it. We just know he's really bad, despite the fact we have no evidence to support that. Okay, fine.
0: And this thing about, we're finally going to get the rich to pay their fair share of taxes, it's like, you've got to be kidding me. <laughs> the rich pay the vast majority of taxes... of Americans get much more out of the government than they put in. Half of Americans don't pay any federal income tax at all. They're just free riders and parasites like pecking vampire egrets on the back of the hippo of state. And it's like, yeah, but we got to jack it up for rich people. I mean, that's just such populist class baiting, you know, trying to convince people who don't pay any taxes that we're finally going to get the rich to pay their fair share of
1: which you're not paying any. But Trump, but stuff. Trump, uh, you know. He had to sit there as Hillary Clinton broke out her new catchphrase, which was trumped up, trickle-down economics doesn't work. She said that like three or four times, and it was as inauthentic as you'd imagine it would be. You know, trickle-down economics doesn't work, but at the same time, she's proposing government solutions, which are, by their very nature, top-down solutions. So, you know.
0: (laughs) She's right in a way. I mean, cutting taxes, (laughs) it works if you also cut government spending now yes. on the other hand on the other hand if you don't cut government spending but you cut taxes you get a giant saturn style deficit followed by crushing debt for generations so mm-hmm. yes trickle down economics doesn't work if you don't cut government spending at the same time as you cut taxes Uh, if you just borrow and borrow and borrow and pretend that you've cut government spending well then you end up with lower taxes but a giant debt which also destroys your economic opportunism so you get a short burst of it and then it falls away the problem isn't with cutting taxes it's with cutting taxes without cutting government spending
1: Well, of course the government hands out all these bloated contracts to people that have donated to campaigns previously so then you know the rich get richer in that sense and the poor get poorer because they're still getting taxed and then they go, oh, this is a problem with the free market, which, you know, of course is not the case on any dimension of the problem. But yeah, trickle-down economics don't work. Hillary Clinton told us here and now tonight, so everyone now knows.
0: And okay, he's, what is he, cutting taxes from, I can't remember what it was, like 45% down to 15% on Depends corporations, right? Depends which tier that you're in. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, back but of the
1: envelope tax a, plan, yeah.
0: A big reduction mm-hmm. uh, in, in corporate taxes. Okay. And then it's like, first of all, the question is really annoying when they say, well, how are you going to put money back, back, you see, <laughs> into the pocket? How
1: about not of, taking it in the first place?
0: Or Yeah. How about you just don't take it in the first place and then you don't have to worry about putting it back. But of course, it would be, you know, you could do this in 20 or 30 seconds, just point out that if you cut corporate taxes... More people will start businesses, more people will be hired, therefore be there will be a greater demand for workers, therefore their wages will go up. Plus, if corporations are paying much less money in taxes, they have more money for employees, for for payroll, which means that employee salaries are going to go up. So cutting taxes doesn't mean that the rich, evil, monopoly-style, monocled corporate guy at the top gets to keep all this money and bathe in a steady diet of liquid gold. It means that corporations are going to have more money to spend, which is going to drive up demand for goods, services, workers, land, rent, you name it. Mm -hmm. And so that's going to raise everybody's income, just cutting those taxes. I mean, you could do that fairly quickly, but he just couldn't seem to make the connection between... His tax cuts, which they didn't even get into the personal income tax no. cut stuff. But the tax cuts, um, which was a Hilly Winston said it's going to add $5 trillion to the deficit. Oh, all the... <laughs> <Nope>. <laughs> not, not if you cut spending. It's true that if you cut taxes, assume no growth, and you continue with massive government spending, sure, it looks like a deficit but there's two variables there you can control well one directly one indirectly one is so you can cut government spending the other is of course you can see what growth comes out of uh reduced taxes
1: sorry go, go ahead. Well, i just love all these you know this this political action committee looked into your tax plan and said it would do this you know it's we, we can't predict what the stock market is going to do tomorrow or the day after that but somehow they know how a complicated free market situation involving lots of changes new laws new infrastructure is going to be you know five years from now they can say that with any degree of confidence which is of course, complete and total nonsense. Whenever anyone says, this tax plan will do this, you know, there's some basic stuff that you can understand. There's certain economic laws that will always fall into place, supply, demand, et cetera, et cetera. But uh, yeah, we, this complicated series, we can tell you how it's going to pan out 10 years from now. And, you know, Trump's plan is certainly worse. All this stuff is nonsense. Give me one tough question that Hillary got. Well, while well, well, we're talking about businesses first, stuff. I just want to say she brought up revenue sharing for businesses employee revenue sharing for businesses. I mean, this mm. this sounded very communistic to me. Like, this is something that the government needs to make happen. You know, the workers, they work very hard, and they need to share in the revenue generated by these businesses. You know, hey, if you're an employee and you provide lots of value and you want to negotiate an agreement with your employer to share in the revenue, great. If they want to offer it to you as an incentive or a perk, great. That's part of the package. But the idea that we're going to get the government involved in making businesses share revenue with their employees – I don't know that that's a good idea. It might be a great idea in some situations, a terrible idea in others. But the idea that Hillary Clinton is going to make that a policy, well, that's pretty authoritarian and terrifying to me.
0: (laughs) Well, I've actually run a business with Mm -hmm. quite a big payroll. And let me tell you, there is something called revenue sharing in business. It's called your paycheck. (laughs) See, the business makes money and pays you out of the money that it makes. That's called revenue sharing. I don't know what she's talking about. And with that, you can, of course, you can be granted stock options. You could be uh, be granted particular price at which you can buy stock options. You can take some of your salary and buy stocks in the company that you're working for. Lots of things that you could do for revenue sharing, none of which involves a government pointing uh, pointing a huge amount of spotty-ass uh, regulators and guns at your head to make you do stuff. So, yeah, I mean, this is just uh, – I don't know. As far as revenue sharing, isn't the Clinton Foundation only sharing uh, single digits of its uh, percentages of, of donations with actual charities? You're not so, sharing it
1: with Haiti. That I can tell you right now. No, I
0: was not sharing it with Haiti. Nope. That apparently is uh, uh is uh is not great. Check out the interview so. we did with
1: Charles O'Tell on that. He's done some fascinating work into the Clinton Foundation. And uh yeah, there's a whole lot of dirty laundry there that again something that wasn't brought up during the debate. Shocking. Who can believe it? Details. <laughs> okay. What details do you have a detail on the tip of your tongue, Steph, that you'd like to dive into first? I got a, a whole list of them. No,
0: right my my detail is um so the, the Halt, Lester Halt, I think his name was, mm-hmm. the moderator's like, well, Trump, give me details, give me details, give me details, give me details. <laughs> and um, Hillary's like, well, I'm going to reform the justice system. Moving on. We it's need like, to work what?
1: together and build community trust. OK, that's nice. Intelligence surge. That's not an argument or a plan. Intelligence surge. But no, nope, that just that got left laying there pink and naked. And he didn't call her out on it at all.
0: So Trump has to provide details. Uh, which is frankly impossible in this kind of uh, format. You have two minutes, actually less, because you have to sort of explain other things as well. Give me 30 seconds on every detail about the effects of your corporate tax reduction structure plan.
1: Hey, you have an audience I mean, that went to government schools that knows jack shit about economics. Explain it to the ground up for them in 35 seconds. And oh, by the way, make sure you uh, if the buzzer goes, you're off before that. I mean, yeah, it's an impossible task
0: and and did she get asked for any details any implementation details other than apparently there's going to be an air force composed of entirely good-natured my little ponies love bombing the entire uh, entirety of America and it seems like most of the theocracies in the middle east uh, in order to make wonderful things happen oh oh and by the way <laughs> When Obama questioned whether America should be paying all for NATO, it was considered wise statesmanship. Mm-hmm. When Donald Trump uh, dis- dis- tries to figure out whether America should be paying three quarters of the, of the budget for NATO, apparently it's a betrayal of her closest allies and a stab at the back. Yeah,
1: remember when the Democrats used to be the anti-war party? Boy, that was nice.
0: <laughs> oh, that was under the Bush, <laughs> under the Bush regime. Suddenly, poof, They vanished.
1: Yeah, somehow Donald Trump, the guy that's been in real estate over the course of the last four or five decades, he's the big warmonger as opposed to Hillary Clinton that destabilized the Middle East and, you know, actually voted for the Iraq War and the whole rest of it. I mean, just the sheer gall of trying to paint Trump as a warmonger, you know, the tired, you know, oh, can't trust him with the nuclear codes, like all that stuff, you know, got trotted out again. Trump is big and scary. He's dark. You know, we'll see what narrative gets floated out after this debate. But yeah, Trump's been putting mints on people's pillows for 40 years and making customers happy and, you know, <laughs> producing a reality TV show that people found entertaining. I'm not exactly going to look at him as uh, the person that's going to start the war with Russia because, oh, wait, Hillary Clinton's the one that's even pumping it during this debate. You know, we were hacked, cyber terrorism attacked by Russia. Well, we actually don't know that, which Trump pointed out. We don't know who did it. Um, it's only. Democrat servers that seem to be getting hacked, which is kind of interesting. But besides the point, we don't know that it's Russia, but Hillary seems awfully keen on war with Russia. And uh, yeah, but somehow Trump's the warmonger. It's funny how that works out.
0: Well, and and apparently, you see, a long time ago, some people who did business with Trump complained (laughs) that... He was not fun to do business with, or maybe they didn't get paid. Now, so this is one person. No, no, he didn't mention any lawsuits other than the one about um, minorities, which we'll get to in a sec. Mm -hmm. But yeah, you know what? 30 years ago, some guy claimed that Trump didn't pay him. Therefore... He has cheated everyone and has climbed to the top because, you know, it's just so fantastically easy to make billions and billions and billions of dollars by just cheating the hell out of people. (laughs) That's why the companies that do the very best on eBay are the ones who never ship their products and somehow mysteriously get all these positive ratings. I mean, that's why people really want to do business with Trump because he just screws everyone. And it's like – Really, Hillary, abandoning people to die in Benghazi? And you're talking about him stiffing a guy who maybe didn't do a great job with the wallpapering in the basement? Well, coming
1: from the template of the Clinton Foundation, I can understand that Hillary would think that the way to make millions of dollars is by ripping people off and scamming people. I can understand where she gets that mindset. But, um, yeah, the the whole deal that, you know, there's a a dispute over a clubhouse. I think it was uh, – it might have been Mar-a-Lago in Florida, a clubhouse that was built. I could be wrong about that. But I remember reading about this story. And in business, there's these things called contracts, okay? And I don't, I don't know if the guy fulfilled all his obligations or his company fulfilled all the obligations in building Trump's, uh, Trump's clubhouse or not. And if there was a non-payment there and the contract stipulated payment and all the obligations were met, that's why we have a court system. That's why you go to court and you get paid And then you get damages on top of it of Trump's really stiffing people. And considering he's been involved in construction for his entire career and doesn't seem to have any problem getting people to build stuff for him, I imagine he's paying his bills on a regular basis. But I don't know.
0: And uh, this – so there was some whether minorities were moving into his buildings or not. And this was a whole bunch of businesses who got hit. With this This
1: whole and, thing ties into what she was saying overall about um, oh this this terrible housing crash that we had you know all these greedy bankers and you know this deregulation that led to the housing crash well the whole thing with Trump and that that lawsuit about not renting to minorities pretty much and this is this was and is common for people that try and rent properties you don't want to rent your property to people that can't pay the rent. Or pay the lease.
0: (laughs) Why do we need to say these things? I feel like this Jackie Chan picture.
1: Why do we need to pay Don't
0: rent your stuff to people who can't pay the rent.
1: So, yes, Donald Trump and his father's business, they didn't want to rent apartments to people that couldn't pay their lease, couldn't pay the rent. So, naturally, you would disincentivize and, you know, if you thought someone couldn't pay the rent based on their employment history, whatever it was you would be less inclined to say, oh yeah, this this is open and available. I mean, that just, it kind of makes sense in many ways. I mean, it's not even good for the person if they get the property and then can't pay the rent and then get evicted. I mean, it's, their credit rating gets further eviscerated. You know, lots of bad stuff happens there. But yeah, you know, you don't want to sell your product to someone that can't pay for it. And unfortunately, there is a disproportionate number of black people and quote unquote minorities that do take welfare and can't afford these things in New York, which is an expensive area. So yes, lots of housing companies uh, and rental places had these types of cases brought against them because...
0: You yeah, know, so if you normalize by race, let's say there are 30%... Blacks uh, or hi- Blacks and Hispanics living in a, a neighborhood, but you're only renting to 15% Blacks and Hispanics. If you normalize by race, then you look like look like there's gaps and people say racism. But that's not what you normalize by. You normalize by income. And, you know, for a variety of reasons we've talked about before, Blacks and Hispanics have lower uh, incomes and therefore will be less available to rent these properties. And this is exactly why there was a housing crash, is that the government forced banks to lend to people who weren't qualified for the loans. Zero money down, 6,000-year uh, payoffs, you know, assuming that interest rates stay at 0.002%. Yeah, okay, I, I can afford probably Brangelina's house in... <laughs> in um <laughs> france at, at those rates but then when the rates kick up you know variable rates kick in or whatever boom you get a huge housing crash which triggers a worldwide recession uh and so uh, yeah just uh, this stuff people who just don't know the facts who don't know the facts about income and uh, who just look at numbers um i what what can you say i mean this is uh but but to educate people on all of this how can you do it that quickly well
1: especially when you're being accused of stuff and even at the time with that case which trump is right he didn't admit any fault in that case and it was settled and you know you sometimes settle cases just to be done with them and not have to deal with the nonsense um he he and his father had leased out properties to many minorities so if this was you know if He only had white people or he only had Asians in his properties. You can make a bigger case that, oh, this is just discrimination based on, you know, uh, skin color or whatever it may be. But the fact that you would, you know, discriminate against someone who you didn't think could pay the loan based on whether it was their employment history or whatever the case may be, that makes a whole lot more sense. But again, it's tough to kind of spell that out as you're being accused of being the worst racist on the face of the planet by not only the person you're debating, but the moderator as well.
0: (laughs) as a as a white man <laughs> mike um how how did it feel having virtually no existence in the entire debate because and i I tweeted this out too. It's like whenever anybody says race relations in the United States, okay, America is a rainbow of diversity, right, mm-hmm. lots and lots of different ethnicities and uh races in America, but when people say race relations um again, if I were Donald Trump, which is why I'm not <laughs> I would say. What, you mean the degree to which Polynesians get along with uh, Hispanics? Or are we talking about Jews and Japanese people? Like, can you narrow it down a little bit? Like, there's lots of different races. What are we talking about? Steph, it's always black and white people. That I mean, that's,
1: <laughs> that's like oh, physics. It's always
0: black and white people and black grievances and white racism. Yes. Boom! There we go. Race relations. I broke the code. It's black grievances and white racism. Because Hillary Clinton basically said everybody in the country is biased against black people. The entire country, you see, is racist. All the police,
1: too. We need to fix that training, you know, that training that makes people racist.
0: And I guess, what, 50% Democrats or 40% Democrats, depending on how you measure it, how hard sort of hard left they are. So is she saying she's a racist? Is she saying all the Democrats also are racist? Or when she says everyone, does she just mean Republicans are all racist? Because that stuff, you know, I'm not an American, but it kind of drives me a little bit crazy, the degree to which they're just goading up minority votes, which is basically black and Hispanic, to think that Trump is a racist so that they'll vote for the Democrats. This race-baiting stuff is really, really tiresome. And I, you know, to the credit of blacks and Hispanics, they seem to be getting a little bit tired of it mm-hmm. uh, as well, because this thing about oh, you know, there's there's a to disproportionate. They go, they go to blacks go to jail. Uh, more for doing exactly the same thing as whites do. No, no, they don't. No, they don't. And we can put links to the studies below uh, if you normalize by prior convictions, if you normalize by a bunch of other stuff. Look at the truth about uh, crime. We go into
1: this stuff.
0: Yeah, truth about crime. We go into all of this. So this is just one of these things that, that people say. And it's really destructive. I mean, just that to me was a moment where you look at clinton's golem-like hunching after the ring of power that she's willing to tell blacks that they live in an unjust racist horrible system that's going to throw them in jail for no reason or for very little reason whatsoever just so she can get power what does this do to the black community what does this do to uh, a feeling of opportunities a feeling that they can get somewhere in life a feeling they can get great things done no boom sorry for you to have power, for me to have power, you must feel ground down and destroyed before you even get out of bed in the morning. Sorry, <laughs> but I like power. So, well, of course,
1: this goes back to what I was saying at the beginning, where, you know, Hillary Clinton is just a vote for more of the same. That is without question. It's going to be the same race-baiting narrative that we've experienced under Obama, and Lord knows, I don't know if the country can survive another four years of that. I mean, after the stuff that goes on in Charlotte and the rest of it, I mean, it's... Uh...
0: Certainly some people can't, because they'll die. Yeah. The, the entire country won't, but certainly a number of people will die if there's another bunch of race-baiting uh, presidents in power. I mean, there's just no question of that because the numbers are very uh, very clear. There's been a significant uptick in murders just this year as a result of the With Ferguson Hillary effect disputed, in America. by
1: the way. She was like, no, mur- crime is down in New York City and such, which, yes, over the course of many decades, crime is down overall. But over the course of the last couple of years, we've seen an uptick, which has been deemed the Ferguson effect, and those numbers are pretty clear. There's been a rise in murders in New York City and a bunch of other stuff. It's not just New York City. But when Hillary Clinton was calling all white people racist, I wasn't sure if she was including her former mentor, Robert Byrd, in there. Who, the KKK guy. Yes, the KKK guy, which the Donald loves posting photos of. Um, and she doesn't seem to bring up when it comes to you know these questions about racism. And uh, Donald Trump, this guy that's worked with all minorities over the course of his entire year, yet she had a mentor that was actually a member of the KKK and fought against the Civil Rights Amendment. You know, that doesn't come up, which it'd be nice if it did sometimes on a mainstream debate. I don't know what people would do with it because it would just short circuit their matrix. You know, the fact that this stuff is completely true and verifiable, yet no one, no one, no one, even in the vicinity of the mainstream media will talk about it. It's, uh... Yeah, the, <laughs> the average Well, voter. he
0: did bring up the super predator thing, which, again, is probably going to come as a surprise to most people on the left that, mm-hmm. that she referred to young – it seemed to be referring to young blacks as, as super predators. And also, didn't she complain about mandatory minimum sentencing that her husband yeah. put into effect? Yeah. It's, yeah, boy, that stuff was really terrible. I can't believe – oh, what? My husband?
1: Moving on. Yeah, it's something you want want to claim all the successes, the believed successes of her husband's presidency, while at the same time ignoring anything that is inconvenient. That's that's pretty precious. Um, I mean, her experience and her main qualification is still being Bill Clinton's wife in many of these things. She was gifted a Senate seat. You know, she was running as Bill Clinton's wife. That's why she was uh, fighting Obama and trying to get the Democratic nomination. And she lost that because she's a terrible politician. And what is this experience? Her tenure as Secretary of State? I can't exactly say that that was a giant, massive success. So when Trump said, you know, you got lots of experience and it's all bad, yeah, I th- think that pretty well sums it up.
0: Well, and what the hell did she ever do as a senator? Uh, voted
1: for the Iraq War.
0: Um <laughs> But other than that, yeah. But I mean, did not... she introduce any particular bills that that went anywhere? She promised to get two hundred thousand jobs. Two hundred thousand jobs upstate. They instead lost seventy five thousand jobs. And um...
1: well, if she's so experienced, and I don't know, maybe there is some stuff she did that could be viewed in a positive way. But she doesn't talk about that. I don't hear anything from her time as a senator that was this great positive achievement or, you know, people discussing it. I mean, that's just not there. It's Donald Trump is an evil, big, bad racist who's going to take all your money and, you know, start World War Three. That's pretty much all we got. And I'm experienced. Okay, great. That's (laughs) right now. I I think uh, and this is where I think um,
0: Donald got into a little bit of uh, small fighting. You know, like when he was talking about how she was disrespectful or contemptuous towards Obama in past debates and so on. You know, g- given the the giant target that is Hillary Clinton's track record, it just seemed a bit small potatoes. Um, well,
1: that spawned out of the birther stuff, which again, right. it's it's that amazing ability of Hillary Clinton to sit there and condemn someone for something that she herself started. I mean, her, yeah, just
0: just all you have to say with the birther thing, you started it. I ended it. Moving on. Your
1: own people are on record verifying this. This is not like but he, was not, he was hard not. He was not great at explaining thing. that.
0: No, he was not great at explaining if that. I mean, it kind of went Blumenthal on this meandering and thing. These
1: people, like most people, don't know who Blumenthal is. They don't understand the names of these underlings and all that. They, they don't get that. Again, this is in the untruth about Donald Trump, part three. We went into the birther stuff pretty extensively, but yeah, that's. He, I think he definitely got into the weeds quite a bit on the birther subject, and it's one of those like. Oh, my God, we're talking of all the problems happening in America today, all the problems happening in the world. And we're talking about birtherism as if it's racist, too. This is a point I want to make. Somehow Donald Trump asking if Obama was born in America and if he can produce a birth certificate is racist. Um, I don't even think it was racist when Hillary brought it up. I mean, was it racist when Donald Trump brought the same thing up with Ted Cruz? No, I think it's a fair and legitimate question. Are you eligible to be president of the United States? You know, there are rules and people claim that they're important. So, hey, we should probably abide by them. So asking a question if someone's eligible to run for the office that they're running for, I don't know how that's racist. Was it racist for Ted Cruz? You know, everyone's favorite Canadian. I don't think so. I don't think so. But nonetheless, big, bad, evil, racist Trump. That's a narrative we're going with. No, no. But see, Mike, this is just
0: because you can't see the racism through your whiteness, oh. because you see the reason. No, the, the reason it's racist is because it's the first Blackish American president, half white, half black. It's the first, and 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 you're only bringing up because he's black. You're only bringing it up because he's black, right? And that's of course the not not the fact that his father was Kenyan and he spent a lot of time in I don't know where Indonesia, who knows what, right? But um, yeah, it's it's only because. He's black. Uh, that and so that's and this is the kind of stuff that was going out, right? But again, I think that fixed on Hillary Clinton, who leaked. Yeah, the, yeah. No, the if quote, it's racist for to bring it up Obama with regards to Trump, she brought it up first. Yeah. So yeah, but um, and this was a lot of the stuff uh, that was going out through this debate was. We, we need the black vote to come back. We need the black vote to come back because we're Democrats and we don't want to win fair and square so we're going to run through yeah, race-baiting and class-baiting. Steph,
1: at the same time, we need the black vote and we got to say how bad things are in the black community while at the same time saying things are wonderful in the black community and criticizing Donald Trump for saying that there's problems in the black community. Like this, this double speak and this happened in our alt-right speech as well. It just blows my right. mind. You know, Trump's like, yeah, some of these black communities are like a war zone and he rattled off some of the statistics from murders in places like Chicago. And they're horrific just over the course of, like, the last year. I mean, there's more people getting killed in Chicago than were getting killed at various points in Iraq during military operations. Like, it's...
0: it's Iraq, as Spike Lee says, right? Yeah,
1: it's, it's, it's not good. And to say that things could be improved, I don't think is a controversial statement. Certainly not a controversial statement for the people living in Chicago, though don't have means and options to get the hell out, which anyone that does have means probably has at this point. So... You know, okay, there's problems in the black community. At least Trump is throwing out a solution. He's saying, you know, we need to look at stop and frisk again and do what Rudy Giuliani did in New York City, which helped to depress crime. Now, I'm sure lots of libertarians are going to have a big, big, big problem with stop and frisk. But at least he has an answer to something that can be done, in addition to bringing jobs back and, you know, getting people off the welfare rolls and actually incentivizing them to work and, you know, not riot until three in the morning and burn down their locale. So that is a solution. It did work under Rudy Giuliani. Whether you like it or not is a whole nother thing. But that's at least an answer to the question of what do we do with situations like Iraq and Detroit in these inner cities and these black communities that are really suffering. And Hillary Clinton just says they're bad, but there's not a problem. And you know we'll have green energy jobs that'll come in, and somehow that'll (laughs) make the world a better place. I don't know. We'll be a green energy superpower. Okay, great.
0: I think green energy is just taking all of the taxpayer dollars and setting fire to them in a big room and saying, "Ooh, that's warm, that's the green energy." But he could see this is where he could have pivoted to immigration, right? Mm. Because the stop and frisk. First of all, I will respect libertarians who dislike stop and frisk if they go live in a ghetto in uh, Chicago. If they go, if they go and do that, and and there's you know they still don't want any stop and frisk with bullets flying through the walls and stuff. Okay, I get, at least get respect for consistency, but they're. They're in New Hampshire. Anyway, so libertarian, I don't know, a lot of uh, – and the other thing, too, it's that uh, the stop and frisk stuff, personally, myself, uh, if, if stop and frisk means that occasionally I get inconvenienced by having a cop check if I have a gun, okay, that's a bit of a drag, and I understand that. However, if it means that the people around me aren't carrying guns, I think that that's a whole lot better. And the funny thing is, is they want gun control and stop and frisk is a great way of having gun control.
1: Yeah, somehow we're going to have gun control, but we can't actually do anything to maybe, you know, stop people from possessing guns that they shouldn't have. This is just, again, magical magic, magic, my little pony thinking, which you discussed earlier.
0: So the other thing too, that that Trump could have said, well, a crime is rising to, to some degree because Uh, Blacks have done a lot worse under Obama, and I'm going to fix that by reducing illegal immigration, by limiting and restricting immigration so that uh, jobs, uh, wages can go up, which is going to get more blacks and Hispanics hired, and then we're going to have less crime. Boom, right? Get straight to immigration. Now, if he'd brought up immigration and they had pivoted away from it, he could have at one point just said, are we not talking about immigration (laughs) tonight? Is that just not, we're just not going to talk about it, even though it is the number one issue Mm -hmm. for a huge proportion our voters in this election. We're just going to completely sidestep immigration for reasons that I assume is because uh, most of the immigrants who come from the third world are going to be reliable Democrat voters for generations. So we're just not going to talk about immigration. Should we get back to
1: what's on page 453 of my tax returns? Is that going to help the country? (laughs) Well, the top issues for people, you know, security, that comes back to immigration. You know, the economy, again, that comes back to immigration. A lot of the issues that are most important to people are directly tied to immigration. So yeah, Trump could certainly have pivoted at many points to that that uh, which is his key and signature issue and probably not probably it is the most important issue in this election with what's going on in europe with the migrant crisis and you know the security concerns that are happening in the united states currently it seems like we can't go a day without putting out some type of the truth about some horrific shooting explosion terrorist attack so yeah i would have liked to have seen that and uh, you know it certainly wasn't the case that. Uh, the moderator was going to bring up an immigration question or anything about building a wall that wasn't going to occur because, you know, we had important things like birtherism to uh, hit but over the head. this is the
0: thing. You know, when whites have crashed from 90% to 65% of the population and is going down in an ever-accelerating fashion, I think there's a reason for them to ask questions. I mean, if, if it was a 90% black country and whites were swarming in, And displacing the black population, people would say, evil colonialism. Mm -hmm. (laughs) But, of course, the other way, white people can't have any needs, can't have any preferences, can't act collectively. It's evil. But, um, no, I mean, that's that's where things need... Need to go, and the degree to which that was avoided was to me really, really clear. Okay, the- and the, you know, the the, the guy, uh, Lester, is drilling uh, Trump about inconsequential things like at what point was he for or against the Iraq War, and and what's and 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 birtherism and and his tax return and so on. And the only thing that Clinton he pivoted to Clinton and said, "Something you want to say about those emails?" Okay, uh, I made a Why, mistake. Yes, I take full I absolutely responsibility. Do want to
1: talk about them? Okay, yeah, that's
0: <laughs> no, no. But she basically just one toss off question yep. to Hillary, and Hillary gave her two second non answer, not an argument. Mm-hmm. Uh, what does it mean? I hate people who say I take full responsibility for this. Moving on, <laughs> <laughs> I take full responsibility for this, but there should be absolutely no negative consequences for me whatsoever. Well, at the same okay, time,
1: transparency is a virtue, and I need to see your taxes right now. Ah, right,
0: and and the solution to to. Terrorism apparently is is twofold. Sorry, I'm doing another pivot here. (laughs) Twofold. Number one, better intelligence.
1: Intelligence surge, Steph. You just say those two words back to back. Intelligence surge.
0: Yeah. You know, maybe intelligence surge she thought of while on her toilet staring at her email server. That apparently was right across from the toilet. Maybe an intelligence flush. Oh, no, that's what came later with Bleach Bit. But anyway, um, so number one, an intelligence surge. Okay. (laughs) Okay. Because she's really, really concerned about intelligence and secrecy and spying and so on, which is why she used her own private server. Uh, but this number one. Number two, apparently, if you're really nice to theocracies in the Middle East, magic happens. <laughs>
1: <laughs> They'll love us so much, they won't. You just need it. to give oh, them the right amount of weaponry oh. and, you know, arm, you know, these people that you think are allies for this five minutes and they're not the next five minutes. And everything suddenly becomes a paradise.
0: Oh, Lordy. Again, I don't even want to get into gun control.
1: Well, gun control. Okay, gun (laughs) control. There is something I want to say on gun control because Trump said something that did surprise me. Um, Hillary Clinton came out really strong on the, you know, if you are on a terrorist watch list or a no fly list, you know, you shouldn't be able to purchase a gun. And Trump, who has been endorsed by um, the um, National Rifle Association, he did say, you know, I'm kind of sympathetic to that point. But he did add the caveat, and this is what's going to be left out. It's going to be Donald Trump, you know, turns on gun owners and blah, blah, blah. He did say we need to fix the the um the list themselves, because currently like the no fly list, like if you have a name which is close to someone else's name that they are concerned about, you're on the no fly list. And there's tons of people that wind up on these lists that have done nothing wrong. And it's just, you know, you're thrown up there, no due process, and then saying you can't buy a gun. Yeah, that's a problem, and it's certainly unconstitutional in many ways, which the Constitution is very important, but not for this aspect when it comes to Hillary Clinton. Okay. But um, so that is something I think people are going to be very upset about tomorrow. Is he did say if you're on the no fly list, you know, he's sympathetic to the idea that you shouldn't be able to buy a firearm. But this idea that, you know, we need to keep guns out of the hands of people that shouldn't have them and not allowing them to buy them legally is going to do it. This is on the heels of her talking sympathetically about Keith Scott. The guy who got shot in Charlotte, who was a felon for shooting at people, had an illegal gun. And now it's come out. This is something new that just came out today. There was a restraining order filed by his wife last October, I think it was, where she said, yes, he has a gun. He's threatened to kill me. He's punched our child in the head. And, uh, yeah, he has an eight millimeter gun. And, again, felon. Felon, not supposed to own a gun. She is saying his wife is saying he has a gun. What happened? Did anything happen? Did he go to jail? She dropped the restraining order after like eleven days. It was less than two weeks. She dropped the restraining order. Why is this guy walking the streets? If he's a felon, not allowed to have a gun. His wife says he has a gun. Did they go and check? that they <laughs> did they go and check and do anything? So now we have a situation in Charlotte. You know, less than a year later. Where he's got a gun, he shouldn't have a gun, he's a felon, the cops say, hey, you got a gun, you shouldn't have a gun, and he essentially suicides by cop because he doesn't want to go back to jail for having a gun, and then Charlotte burns down. So if we can't even keep the hands out of people, the guns out of the hands of people that shouldn't have them, like someone like Keith Scott, or another example, we just did a video on the Washington Mall shooter. The Washington Mall shooter, someone that had been arrested for domestic violence against his stepfather three times. Three times. Three times. Three times. And the judge in one of those cases said he shouldn't be allowed to have a gun. Okay. Well, he wanted to commit this murder. He wanted to commit this shooting. So he stole his father's guns. Okay. Well, his father wasn't on a list. Maybe he should have been, given that he was a Turkish immigrant. And, well, that's a whole other story. But his father wasn't on the list. Father had the guns, purchased them legally. He stole the guns, committed the shooting. So obviously this weightless thing and not being able to legally purchase guns doesn't really stop people from getting guns if they really want them in an illegal manner. I mean, we have two examples, the two big examples from over the course of the last week. Keith Scott and the Washington Mall shooter both obtained their guns illegally despite the fact that they weren't legally allowed to have them. But, you know, we can't do stop and frisk because then we might find people with guns that shouldn't have them. I don't understand what the hell this gun policy is from Hillary Clinton, but she does support selling lots of them to the Middle East and somewhere in here, you know, kumbaya, we're just going to get together, the races are going to just be, you know, best friends and... I don't know. Well, no, I
0: mean, so she actually had, yeah, she had the phrase, we need to keep weapons out of the hands of people who will do harm. Okay, like the Saudis?
1: (laughs) Tens of billions of
0: dollars of weapons sold by the Dems, and to be fair, by the Republicans in the past as well. So I think they may do just a little bit of harm from time to time. Secondly, how about not arming a whole bunch of people in Syria and Libya who turn out to be ISIS? You know, that might be considered, you know, Somewhat important in not putting weapons into
1: the hands of people who might use them to do harm. Steph, you didn't hear her spoken asterisks, though. It was like, a, that's like how you pronounce asterisks, which is unless they donate to the Clinton Foundation, which then all bets are off. So <laughs> so if you what? are a gang in the United States and want to make a donation to the Clinton Foundation, you'll somehow off, end off that terrorist watch list and be able to purchase something. Now, it's, uh, I don't know. It's, again, the fact that she can say this stuff. It's important to keep guns out of the hands of people that mean to do harm. Well, at the same time, she sold more – she's been involved in the sale of more weapons to Middle Eastern countries than just about any politician. Again, how do you say that with a straight face? You have to be completely artificial and fake. And, well, she is. And, you know, Trump, whether you like him or not, Trump's a lot more real.
0: And it was really great to to, to wind up at least the time frame of the debate. It was really great. Uh, two, two things was when she talked about her stamina – I think she said something like, "Well, you try. You try being forced to testify before Congress for 11 hours." <laughs> really? How about not needing to testify before Congress? Yeah. How did you end up there? <laughs> Tell me more. I, I, I don't know. That seems like something you wouldn't you wouldn't be bragging. I had to do 5 years tough in, in prison, solitary. man. <laughs> okay. And and no time, no time to really drill into Hillary Clinton's uh, email, the Clinton Foundation, uh, uh, Benghazi, Libya, Syria, the uranium scandal of Turning over, what is it, a quarter of America's uranium supply to Russia? <laughs> Apparently, it's really bad, according to her. But the important thing is the last question, why is Mr. Trump so mean to women?
1: Oh, God, we couldn't go another. I mean,
0: did, 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 did I mean, what he said, she doesn't have the presidential look or whatever it is. And, and, and maybe he said that, I, mean, I don't know, right? But do you know how much fun people make of Donald Trump's appearance? Can anyone ever basically – but no, this is complete white knighting. It's completely sexist. You know, he said mean things about your appearance. It's like, God, just scroll through what the Democrats say about Donald Trump's appearance, his hair, his orange skin, his, you know, portly – whatever,
1: right? I mean Mm – but he's a guy, no, so it's okay. But did you say something about a girl. Of Donald Trump with a micro penis around major cities yeah. in the United States, and that was totally fine, yeah. you know. But Donald Trump said some negative things about people that are in businesses that are beauty dependent. You know, when you are running a beauty contest and you say, "Hey, beauty pageant winner, you might want to lose some weight, or you're looking a bit portly." That's kind of her job. You know, that's kind of her job is to maintain a certain look. That's why there's a profession called modeling. So, yes, if he said these things over the course of his many decade career in the entertainment industry, guess what? There's some problems on Hillary's side of the aisle when it comes to the war on women, which we don't get to and no questions will ever be asked about. And Trump, I think, kind of acknowledged it at the end and said, I'm going to be nice and I'm not going to go there because Chelsea's in the front row.
0: Um, So... Well, and here we're talking about the um, accusations of uh, rape and sexual harassment and assault uh, assault against
1: Bill Clinton, right? Mm -hmm. The numerous accusations, the numerous accusations. And you can pay more attention to the first interview we did with Roger Stone on this channel called uh, The Clinton's War on Women, where Roger goes into those in grave detail. But if it's something you've never heard of, uh, you might want to do a quick Google search because there's lots of stuff there. And, you know, people in glass houses should not throw... Such stones. And Hillary, in this case, absolutely was. Donald Trump called Rosie O'Donnell fat. Well, I'm sure Juanita Broderick would have something to say about the war on women, uh, if you want to go that route, Hillary. But, you know, we're not going to talk about that on CNN or any of the mainstream media channels, because those are just – that's been discredited. How? Well, I just used the word discredited. That means it's discredited and we don't have to talk about it. Okay, then. Moving on.
0: (laughs) And this, you know, this would be sort of my post-debate – hints to Trump what has been great about Trump is that he has been bigger than the process mm. right He has been bigger than the media he's been bigger than the debate format he interrupts he he he, um, he 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 makes speeches he you know he he refuses to be sort of cornered by moderators and so on. He's bigger than the process and here he didn't feel bigger than the process to me. I- it felt like he was waiting to see what the process was doing and then reacting to the process. And the process was manifestly unfair and lopsided and one-sided. And I mean, of course, right? right. They introduced him as uh, fiery or something like that, you know, like... Uh, Didn't take long. Come on. I mean, I mean come on. I mean, <laughs> whereas she was, you know, secretary of state and senator, you know, like all <laughs> these, you know, terms of, of respect. And he was fiery and, like, and a billionaire. It's like, okay. yeah. Um, but he needs to be bigger than the process because he only he only he's only going to get in if he's bigger than the process if he's bigger than whatever stupid crap they set up to try and trap him he just needs to be you know like that that bull that, that just runs through uh the house of cards you know he needs to be that but he needs to be bigger uh than the process he needs to be way bigger than anything they can throw at him well you know easy for me to say <laughs> in my studio but that would sort of be my hint now maybe this is you know i mean the guy is a master strategist and we're going to have uh uh, Scott Adams uh, on this week to talk more about this maybe there's a big plan here I I'm hoping right I mean it's not a disaster I mean I think they came out sort of even I think if you liked Trump you liked him still and if you liked Hillary you liked her still there wasn't any um coup de gras that were going on but he needs to be bigger than the process he needs to challenge the moderators you know he did to some degree a little bit well a little bit more with Megyn Kelly than he did with this guy oh, I'd say a but lot he needs more to
1: challenge it with Megyn yeah a King lot more previous debates yeah
0: yeah. Now, this is the first time he's been introduced to Democrat voters. And I think that's really the important thing, because let's just assume that, you know, 100 million people tuning in, you know, there's going to be a couple tens of millions uh, of people who are Democrats or undecided who have probably never really seen Donald Trump
1: well, do anything I don't before. That that's possible stuff. I will say I don't think that's possible over the course since last August. I mean, I don't think you can avoid having an opinion on Donald Trump. There's some people that don't like Trump and don't like Hillary and don't know if they're even going to bother voting that are undecided. But I don't think there's anyone that doesn't have an opinion on either of them. No, no, no. I didn't say doesn't have
0: an opinion. No, of course they have an opinion. What I mean is they haven't sat down and watched him engage for an hour and a half.
1: Right. Right. I mean, they haven't gone to the rallies.
0: They weren't watching the Republican presidential uh, or the Republican nominee debates, right? And and they're not watching his interviews that he gives. So this is probably the first time that a lot of people on the left or even in the middle have sat down to watch Donald Trump interacting. And so this was it's his introduction to like a third or 40% or even more maybe of the American population in an extended format. You know, they've seen sound clips, they've heard sound bites, they've maybe read articles about him, but they probably haven't sat down to watch him for an hour and a half. And I think he's got to be conscious of that right? I mean, he's a master salesman and so on. And this is his first exposure. If he had challenged the process, uh, it may have come across, cause you know, a lot of these guys are kind of rules based, right? I mean, they're the audience. So it just may have come across like, oh, it's such a loose cannon. He won't stay in the format. He's playing outside the lines, you know, he's bringing a bazooka to a tennis match or whatever. So that's sort of my, maybe my guess, if I had to say, why did he, why was he smaller than the format or the process? Um, and you know, there's, there's two more to go and we'll see what happens next time. But, uh, He needs to stop reacting, uh, be proactive, and just let his larger-than-life personality dominate the process. It's okay to push back if you see bias uh, in the moderator, and I think he had reasons to, too, right? I mean, if the the, the guy said, okay, say your thing about your emails or something like that, it's like, whoa, whoa, whoa. Back up here. I got to explain my entire economic plan, and she gets two minutes, two seconds on her email. Are you kidding me?
1: About my bankruptcies again for the fortieth
0: time. Yeah, let's talk about my bankruptcies and and people I may have not paid thirty years ago. (laughs) The emails are slightly more relevant, right? Mm -hmm. And uh, and I wish they wouldn't talk about it like emails. Uh, national security leaks, uh, exposure of classified information. People, we need people to stop referring to it as emails. Hillary
1: Clinton's leaking of classified information and her extreme carelessness to quote the FBI director in handling. This yeah, information. It, it's not about
0: emails. Emails sounds boring already. It sounds like a non-issue. Mm-hmm. So yeah, Trump needs to be bigger than the entire situation, and he needs to point the audience's attention to the biases. He's done this magnificently with the media. Right. Just hammering the media, hammering the media and their biases and their biases. And he did point out, again, it's one of these things that he kind of has to rush through it. If you don't know the whole story about how the DNC rigged it for Hillary with Wasserman Smith and so on, it kind of was kind of fast. And I was sort of trying to I was trying to view this debate as if I didn't know that much about Donald Trump's side of things. And um, I think that's I think he needs to work at getting his story across in a very succinct way, getting his messages across in a very succinct way, because he does try to explain it, but um, that's a tough thing to do. Hundred billion, hundred million hundred million people watching you get attacked uh, and trying to uh, push
1: back and give a counter-narrative at the same time. Even if you're able to do it and you seem on the defensive, that can be viewed as a negative by some people. Like, oh, he's, he's on the defensive. He must have something to hide. It must be very bad. And there was a few opportunities, like at the end, where they they floated out the question well this is a democracy you know <laughs> and you know if if you don't win either of you you know will you support the other person i don't even know what that question means you know <laughs> they couldn't be more opposed on many issues will you support the other person sure sure why not but that would have been a perfect opportunity because Hillary's like, I support democracy. It's, well, you didn't in the primary against Bernie Sanders when you had the entire DNC rig the damn thing, and the Bernie Sanders supporters are still a little hot about that. And Jill Stein and Bernie Sanders supporters were outside the debate protesting tonight, and you won't hear about that, even though Mike Cernovich is following it pretty well on Periscope. If you go to twitter.com slash Cernovich, you'll be able to read all about it. But yeah, it's, uh, I support democracy. Well, that's nice to see, Hillary. That's, uh a. <laughs> There's evidence to suggest otherwise, but yeah, he did let her get away with that.
0: Well, and, you know, the other thing you could say is that uh, it's actually a republic.
1: (laughs) There is that factor, which everyone points out. You know, democracy is is just plain old mob
0: rule. And maybe that's what you want, but technically we're limited by the Bill of Rights, by the Constitution, by the rule of law. We are a republic, not a democracy. That would be one thing that would make them look kind of goofy. But the reason... I mean, and my answer to that would be, well, I don't know what you mean by support. I really, really disagree with her positions. I think they're a complete disaster. They've been a disaster for the Middle East. They've been a disaster for Europe. They've been a disaster for Benghazi. They've been a disaster when it comes to protecting national security. She's a disastrous candidate. Now, when you say, will I support her? Hell no, I won't support her. I will continue to speak out about policies that I think are bad, as is my right under the First Amendment as a free citizen. Does that mean I'm going to break the law to oppose her? Of course not. I'm going to do it in an honest and above-board way, but absolutely. She's a terrible candidate. She's going to be the death of the republic, so I'm going to oppose her now. I'm going to oppose her after she gets elected, but I'm going to do it legally using all the First Amendment rights at my disposal.
1: Hear, here. <laughs> that would have been a great closing. So yeah. overall... Um, Again, I think there were such low expectations for Hillary coming in. She didn't fall over, have a coughing fit. So I think some people will be inclined to say that she won. But I don't know that anyone's mind was really changed in this debate. You know, like you said, if you like Trump going in, you probably still like Trump. And if you liked Hillary going in, well, there's not many people that actually like Hillary. (laughs) There's people that don't like Trump. Um, But yeah, they're probably still on the Hillary side of things. And we'll see how the polls are affected. But they're going to be doing this two more times over the course of the next few weeks. So yay. Yeah, hopefully we get to, we'll, uh, we'll get to see how it goes again. I'm not holding.
0: My yeah, we'll get to see how it goes again, and uh, he might as well go full offensive, in my opinion, because he's got absolutely nothing to lose. And if he tries to play it uh, too restrained, uh, he's going to not be his full authentic self. And uh, his personality is so expansive and expressive. Uh, that he needs to be able to channel people's incredible frustration with the system. It's not just the Trump supporters. I mean, there are Bernie Sanders supporters out there who are incredibly frustrated with the system and really angry at the system. There are a lot of independents out there, libertarians out there, can't stand the system. The Greens, they can't stand the system. If he can coalesce and channel that frustration for this whole rigged goddamn process, which we saw in full force tonight, he's going to be an unstoppable force. But, uh He needs more prep. He needs to boil down his message into sound bites. I know it sounds inauthentic, but it's necessary. You're dealing with a grade 8 population. You've got to find a way to boil it down into digestible lumps, and you've got to unleash the full force of your personality. That is going to get him to the White House, in my opinion. But I think these kinds of things makes it much more of an uh, even-handed possibility both ways.
1: I will just say I don't know that more prep is necessarily the solution. Yeah, there can be overprepped to the point where you're cautious and you don't go off gut, which, you know, Trump's gut and Trump being Trump, which was Corey Lewandowski's uh, strategy for the early campaign, seemed to work pretty well. So there is this concern about temperament and, oh, you know, we got he's got to look presidential and all that talk. But that was too much of that tonight, in my opinion. I well, listen. To see Trump be Trump for sure. Yeah. Yeah. Well, uh, thanks everyone
0: for listening and for watching. Uh, please, please help out the show, help us to uh, continue to do what we do at freedomainradio.com slash donate. Uh, if you like these kinds of chats, uh, we're going to have them anyway. <laughs> so if you <laughs> like these kinds of chats, let us know in the comments below. We'll we'll review. And um, uh, thanks, of course, uh, Mike, for being a great uh, co-thinker and co-analyzer of these exciting times. Uh, thanks to all the listeners and the watchers. We'll talk to you soon.